Hello, I'm Andrew Harrison. Welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast with me and Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm not bad. Now, as the world gets weirder and less predictable, the idea for this podcast is that we discuss the things in the world of money that concern the average investor, the person in the street. And we've had such a strange summer with the on-off lockdowns and eat out to help out. Andy, what's, what's your half-term report on how the government's done so far in this crisis? Which is probably not halfway, is it? It's not even quarter way yet. But what's your report so far? I think the big key moment's going to be in October when Sunek delivers uh, the budget, because I think... As I've said in the past, I believe that come October, we're going to see the cost because we've been giving away money free. And I think most people listening to this are worried about tax rates, capital gains taxes, triple uh, triple lock on pensions possibly going. There's rumours about changes to pension legislation. And I think that's going to be the critical moment. I do have worries about the way that the virus is increasing, but I think if we shut down a lot of industries again or massive restrictions, we could have some severe economic depressions. And that obviously, it's not just about people being out of work, but it's how do they cope financially, how do they cope emotionally, how do they cope intellectually without a job. And and that's my real worry now that if we're not careful that we keep going into sort of strategic small lockdowns and we're asking everyone to go back to work, and then we're actually saying we well, shouldn't be going back to work. And I think that message is very, very unclear at the moment. Yeah. And as these things happen, it's already reshaping cities, isn't it? Cities are now very different to what they were this time last year. And there are lots of things that are not going to come back. Well, my example I can give you is I ended up in London three weeks ago for a, an overnight, three or four weeks ago, an overnight stay after meeting, doing some work with people we look after and represent. Packing a bag, which I've been packing for the last 25 years, took me an hour because I'd lost my confidence. And you realise that I was used to travelling, but five months of being institutionalised in Stratford-upon-Avon and Warwickshire, I'd lost confidence. Now, I can see that with people when you'll suddenly say, should we get people back to work? And if we're not careful, people will become institutionalised and trying to get them back to work will be very difficult. Ironically, London was very safe, very secure. There was very few people in it. But long term, I don't know how that how we get people back in because I went into the city of London and it was like a Sunday morning at seven o'clock. There was no one there. Yeah. We're never going to be able to make those science fiction films where the air stands still ever again, are we? Because the air has stood still. You can see it for free by looking out the window. Um, you mentioned the city of London. Now, this this time, this on this podcast, we've got to talk about stock markets, the basis of many of our investments. It is a strange time. We're entering a serious recession, but it might not be quite as serious as we thought it was going to be. Meanwhile, America is suffering terribly. And yes, the Dow is at a record high. And in Britain, companies that depend on busy high streets, like I was just saying, they're all in deep trouble. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Yet for all the chaos of Brexit and COVID, the FTSE is more or less where it was in June 2016, right before the EU referendum. So what's going on and what should savers and investors be thinking about? Andy, first up, the stupid question, what exactly is a stock market and how does it work? A stock market is pretty much like a wholesale market if you were buying fruit and veg. You've got people who are saying, my company has an offering. So if you went down to Birmingham fruit and veg market and you want to buy tomatoes, somebody will sell them at, say, 10 pence tomato. Some will be selling them at 9 pence, some 11, depending on the quality. And then the person who buys them hopes to sell them later on for a profit. When we buy into a market, whether it's a US stock market, 
a UK stock market, you're buying into companies and you're hoping to buy them at a pound and sell them at a later date for a profit. But that can vary from market to market. So all the stock market really is, is a collection of publicly listed companies who you buy a share in. For example, you might buy a share in Tesco's and you eventually sell that share years later and hopefully you've made profits on it. But also investors and savers will want to hang on to shares for things like, you know, near dividends and, and, yeah. and, and, and so forth and earnings per share and, and, and all that kind of thing. I found the, the famous quotes from the economist Benjamin Graham saying in the short run, the market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it is a weighing machine, which seems to kind of encapsulate the idea that it's driven by emotion and enthusiasm in the short term. But in the long term, there's no getting away from fundamentals, from the truth about the value of, the, of, a, of a company. Is that still a valuable observation? Well, if you look at the American market, the Dow is overpriced at the moment because you've got a lot of people invested in tech stocks such as Facebook, Apple, and they're going through the roof as we're doing Zoom meetings and the world has changed. And you've also got, I think it's 33 clinical trials on pharmaceuticals for a cure for COVID. And I think the American market is driven by FOMO, fear of missing out. I think people are genuinely, the American market seems overvalued. You look at the FTSE, which is driven by different types of stocks. So we've got a lot of financial stocks and healthcare, uh, sorry, not healthcare, energy stocks. So they're going to react in different ways. But the American market, to me, is very overpriced. And that quote is true as anything, because what you want to be doing is buying a stock or a company or a value that's a fair value. If you're paying too much, so for example, if we look at gold at the moment, high price, you don't want to be buying gold. You'd want it to be in the gold market probably in February. So if we look at energy stocks, you look at financials in the UK, and you look at some of the Swiss banks, pretty good value. You look at the American market and you turn around and say, everyone says, well, we should be getting into tech stocks. Some of these tech stocks will eventually take a dive and some of the pharmaceuticals could be hurt by not just not making the clinical trial successful, but hopefully a change of American government. And Biden, I think, will regulate healthcare stocks slightly differently to how the current regime does. Most investors uh, are in stocks as part of a fund, uh, which yeah. can be in the UK or, or, or worldwide. The, the spreading of risk, the uh, you know the diversification of your portfolio, so you're not at, at risk, um, in, you know, over overexposed in one place or another. Yeah. This has been a global turn turn down, a global event, probably the first ever synchronized economic turn down <laughs> that's caught the entire planet. Are we still kind of covered in the way that we were by diversifying our stocks like that? Yeah. You, diversification is, again, in a, in a crisis, even more important because each market does has reacted similar, similarly. But you've got markets such as emerging markets, which will re- recover in a different way to the UK. And if you've got all of your money just in the UK, not only have you got COVID, you've got the impending problem of Brexit. So when you look at diversification, and if you look in an adventurous portfolio, somebody might have approximately 80% of their shares, uh, 80% of their investment in stocks, stock market investments, with a higher equity content to emerging markets. But a lower risk investor will probably only have an cautious portfolio, 20 to 25%. And the rest of it will be offset in lower risk funds, such as bonds, government loans, gilts. So they do react differently. And we've seen throughout Europe and the world, each government has totally reacted differently to the problems of COVID. 
and we can see different economic situations. Germany's already said that it will extend its furloughing period. So you look at it and to be invested in all of the markets across gives you greater protection than just gambling on America going through the roof. And the temptation is also that when something like America is going up and up and up, is to buy into it. And it reminds me of the 1999 technology boom when everyone wanted to buy tech stocks. Mm. And then when actually the hedge fund manager sold, the sh- people started shorting it, a lot of people lost an awful lot of money. When you're putting together uh, you know, advice on investment portfolios and choices of funds, I mean, do you have... Do you look at different indexes in different countries as as if uh, as if they have a character, or is it purely just you know data not affixed to kind of a fundamental character of an economic profile? Well, if when you when you're investigating funds and asset allocation and how much should, for example, go into America, America is a really difficult market to call. So what sometimes you would use basically a passive fund in America, a fund that just tracks the Dow or the NASDAQ, just so you're buying in at a cheaper cost because the American market has proved very difficult for fund managers to call correctly and get it right. So sometimes you would go and look at a tracker that literally follows the Dow to cut the client's cost down. Whereas in the UK, you might be looking now and saying, actually, it's a really good time to be buying into financials and energy stocks because they're slightly undervalued. So certain indices... If you look at Switzerland, their banking system there is excellent, really clever, fundamentally sound, pays good dividends, has good regular income. So when you would look at a Swiss index, you'd look at seeing how much of it was composed with financials. So each index has its own characteristics, and you have to look to make sure that you're putting the client's money in funds that are going to react in a positive way. And even in a bad time like we're getting now, you want the money with people who know how to manage the money, because a lot of it is about the governance of the companies you invest in. It's interesting that you said uh, energy stocks are undervalued, because I think most people would probably guess that the future of the energy industry isn't a bright one. We've got, you know, climate change is is Mm. bearing down on every aspect of industry. We may have a more regulatory US government coming in. Why do you think they're undervalued? I think in this country, energy stocks are mad, because a lot of them are going to go to renewables. And if you if you look at some of the share prices, they're down 30 to 50%. Now, some of them, if they're not investing in, they're not getting into renewable energies, are going to suffer terribly and they'll not recover. But if we think about this logically, you've got to get your electricity from somewhere for your car. We're going to have solar panel in houses being built. So the energy will continue and there is massive government subsidies. So when you look at the core value of it, some of them are trading 30 to 40 percent under their value now Mm. some of them some of the funds i think it's centrica but i might be wrong here hasn't put a lot of money into renewable energies i I think that share price will struggle but some of the companies even companies like shell who are really struggling they're starting to put an awful lot of money into the renewable energies and however we try and describe the world eventually covid will be something we live with or there'll be a vaccine and people will travel people still need heating they still want electricity. So there will be energy is a way it'll just be, I think, done differently. But I think the funds will adapt. I want to ask you about 
instability, the current instability. Um, and you know, you, the, 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 the FTSE has dropped further during COVID than the Dow. And yet it is weirdly more or less where it was before the Brexit referendum. Is instability necessarily a bad thing if you're an investor? This is a great thing at the moment. If you were 65 and looking to retire at 67, this would be bad timing and it would affect your portfolio. It would affect the returns that you can take in your early years of retirement. But for most people, if they're 10 years from an expected time, this is a great time. The instability leads to volatility and it leads to markets being down. So it's really a sale. A lot of the markets are down 10 to 15% under fair value. Not all of them. But it gives you a chance to buy more units, more stocks in companies that eventually you sell at a price for. The reality is if you're buying a share now at a pound or a company, you want to be able to sell it at a profit. Now, if the values are low, it's a good time to be buying. But it's also incredibly difficult for people when the markets are going all over the place to understand that this is the time to pile in. This is a real, it's probably the best buying opportunity in a decade. Hmm. Interesting. Um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the the validity of stock prices and stock market indexes as an indicator of the the health of an economy or the health of a society. And you start to you hear hear a lot of people saying the Dow is not the economy. The Dow is just a measure of part of the economy. Uh, also, increasingly, we're seeing calls for companies not just to be measured purely on their stock price, but also on other other indices. You know, how how you know what kind of a corporate citizen are they? What yeah. kind of a role do they play? Uh, it, you know, both for within the economy in terms of training and and um, you know the, the creation of beneficial markets, but also in the wider sense. You know, what do they what do they mean for the environment and that kind of thing? Do you think that stock price will remain? the sacrosanct thing forever or are we going to start to see companies valued on other metrics as well i would love to see companies valued on other metrics i think it's really important for people to understand that the the economy and the stock market are two different things if you if you just put the apple situation apple is worth trillion well our debt in pounds similar to the apple's value is identical in what apple is worth the uk's debt is the same amount but so apple, apple could buy britain if it wanted to yeah oh yeah it probably gives us a nice rebrand with a, a white flag <laughs> with a kind of a, a little Union Jack in the middle of it. Well, anyway. no. So when you look at it, no, we've got some serious economic issues. Furlough ends in a month. The economy, there are parts of the market that are doing well, but there are some real issues to come. We've got 10% unemployment forecast, and I think that's been generous. You've got an American system where they haven't got to grips with COVID at all, and there are still mass number of deaths. So the economies, the Dow, like I said, is going through the roof because of, I think, the fear of missing out for healthcare. I think for the sort of um, technology boom will continue with people like Facebook trying to buy every competitor and Google and Amazon. And that will change the way we probably shop forever now. But I think it's really important that when people talk about the Dow going through the roof, they don't confuse that with Trump's economic policy or Mm -hmm. Trump doing an amazing job with the economy. It's just a reflection of a current situation. And again, we have to look at the UK and you look at Europe. There are countries that will come out of COVID better. You look at Sweden, who didn't lock down, and they'll have no unemployment in any different way, whereas we've locked down. Our COVID rates are going up, but we're going to have some serious, serious unemployment figures over the next 
four to six months unless he's got something magical in his magic box for the October statement. Do analysts and fund managers take those other factors other than stock price into account? Uh, or is it purely, you know, or, 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 and are they going to have to as market sentiment maybe moves away from purely the trajectory of the stock price and into, you know, a more networked society, a more networked economy where, you know, does a company bring environmental concerns into uh, what it does? I think the I think the um, one of the things we've talked a lot about on these podcasts is the environmentally social governed portfolios. And one of the th- reasons I think these funds have done so well and analysts like them is the governance. It's the G. It's it's often with companies who've got good balance sheets who aren't robbing the bank to pay themselves huge dividends. Then two years later they're going to go under. So I think there's gonna, there's greater call now from the public, from governments, from the companies to invest and reuse their capital, reuse their dividends, reuse their profits, not just for corporate greed, but for the betterment of society and also the people who are working within that company. So I think there's going to be a a bigger move, and I think analysts are recognising this, that when you look, you can always buy something that goes up 28% in a year, but when it crashes 56% the following year and it goes bust, you don't look very well. Mm -hmm. So what you're looking for is a company that's got really, really good healthy profits, and can post regular dividends, regular growth, but without taking undue risks. And sometimes your portfolios can look like they've underperformed in one year because you haven't gone with that new fast fund that suddenly next year is bombing and people then get hurt. And I think consistency, I always think about Arsene Wenger when he was at Arsenal. Mm. They had to sell a player every year because they paid for a stadium, but he got them into the top four. And there was an awful lot of criticism about Wenger, and I'm not an Arsenal fan. But what he did was balance the books year in, year out. And they, they're a football club that will be sustainable, where you look at some of the other football clubs that have chased a dream. My own club, Coventry. I mean, they're on their way back up now into the championships, but they were virtually bankrupt because they cashed in the dream of trying to stay in the Premier League. And when they went down, they've gone bust. And you don't want to be investing in someone who's chasing something that one day will prove that their value was never fair. Earlier, you mentioned gold. And I can't turn on the internet now without a tiny advert popping up in the corner saying, gold, buy gold, you need to know about gold. Where is this gold mania coming from? Is it a manifestation of of frightening economic times? It reminds me of when the Cypriot banking crisis happened a number of years ago. House prices in London went through the roof because a lot of people who lived in Cyprus, were frightened they weren't going to get the money out and bought property. What gold does is it's stable. So when the equity markets look dangerous, volatile, and unpredictable, people rush for gold. But that obviously then forces the price up. So if you'd have bought gold in February, you'd be sitting on a healthy profit. If you're trying to buy gold now, there'll be some movement upwards over the next 12 months maybe. But I suspect then that you'll, when you try and sell it, you've got rid of most of your profit and there's probably only one way, which is down. And I think what happens with stuff like this, people say gold's at an all-time price, people advertise it, and people want security. But I think what they sometimes don't realise is buying in when a market's at its high point is actually the worst thing you can do. But these adverts are really salespeople just saying to you, buy now before gold runs out or it's doing so well. And actually, buying in when something is at its record high is the last thing you want. It's a bit like the way the house prices are jumping at the moment because of the stamp duty freeze. 
there was an article in the Financial Times saying that they believe the house prices that have gone up so quickly will also in January, if unemployment reaches 10 to 15%, will also see a big drop. So people have to, if they're buying a house now, balance, do they go and buy the house now with not paying any stamp duty with the fear that in January to next year, then house prices might drop by 5%. Mm. But if you're going to buy a house and live in it for the next 30 years, and that's how we really should look at investments, yeah. then it doesn't matter. On the gold thing, I I, I mean, you say the, the adverts, I always think if it's such an important opportunity, why do you need to advertise it to me in the corner of Facebook so loudly all the time? It's an <laughs> odd thing to happen. But also makes me think it, it seems such a strange and an antiquated thing. You know, gold standard economics sounds like the 1930s. Uh, am I wrong to think that? Is it uh, in its own own terms uh, a strong investment? I think it's, it's like everything. You shouldn't have any, all of your money in one asset class. So if you've got all your money in gold at the moment, there's probably only one way if you've just bought it this week. Down. I think what happens with unscrupulous sales tactics is that you advertise to the vulnerable and people who are so frightened and scared actually buy into stuff. It was the same as uh, the LCF ISA that was guaranteed yeah. at 8%. Well, LCF went bust. And because when something sounds too good to be true, it's the old adage, it normally is. And I think a lot of these adverts on social media sites are from companies who really, frankly, don't give a damn about the person buying it. They just want to make a profit. And I think that's the sad part. One thing before we finish up I want to ask you about is for decades, really, we've not really had to think about inflation. It was sort of Margaret Thatcher believed that she had vanquished it. It had become a bad memory of the 1970s. And as as a result of that, a lot of people are quite happy to sit on cash at the moment. Are we in more danger of inflation than we were? Or, or of even like a 1970s-style stagflation where unemployment's high, but so inflation is high as well? I think the biggest worry for the government, uh, for central banks across Europe is that we get deflation. Like a decade like Japan had where you're actually, there's no inflation at all and the cost of goods is dropping all the time. I think one of the ways to shrink the debt is obviously add a load of inflation, but it's very difficult when you've got high unemployment. I genuinely don't think this government will want high inflation, but I think they need to have inflation CPI going up 1% to 2%. I remember back in 1516, Osborne was looking, who was the Chancellor at the time, of sending what they called helicopter payments into the economy because they were so worried about deflation. So the idea was you send people £200 a month to spend in the economy. The downside to what we've had with the furlough, and there is one downside, is that People like me are saying to people, go and save it. Sunek's trying to get everyone to eat out to help out. And I'm saying to people, we don't know what's around the corner for the next 18 months. Save some money. Whereas if the government sends out vouchers that has to be spent in the economy, it does actually have a positive impact on people going out, buying a seti, going out to buy meals, buying fruit and veg. So I think they will be very, very concerned about deflation because – the Japanese Prime Minister Abe has had to stand down from his position, but he's done a pretty decent job of trying to get Japan out of a decade of deflation with his economic policies. And I'm certain Sunek and Johnson won't want to be remembered for deflation. If it's on the horizon, then what should, uh, in a pre- precautionary manner, what should savers be thinking? I think there's two ways you look at money. Money in the bank is for rainy days, emergencies. It's your cash funding. It's if you could go on holiday. It's if the boiler breaks down. 
And I always said three to six months money. I think we should all be aiming for six to 12 months. So if during COVID, your house costs a thousand pound a month to run or 2000 pound a month, you want six months as a minimum up to 12 months of that in cash. Okay, it's not, it's not making you any money, but it's there for a rainy day. And then the rest of it should be invested for a longer period of time. But currently I would advise everyone to try and build six to 12 months because of the unpredictability of what we're facing, economic, and I think people, if they do lose their job, you won't have that economic certainty that you're not going to have to sell your house quickly. Well, that's a good bit of advice there. And that is the end of another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsall podcast. We're going to be back every now and again to update you with the latest excitement on the financial roller coaster. And you can now get us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so you can listen on your phone while you're on the move if you wish. So please do subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Andy, what are your, what are your plans for the next few days there? What are you up to? I've got, I'm playing football again this weekend, so I've got an exciting game of reserve team football on Saturday and I'm watching my little boy play football on Saturday morning and then my 18-year-old daughter is off to Bath University a week Monday, so proud of her but anxious with her leaving home and it's I feel really sorry for the young people at the moment who are at university because their university life is totally different to what it should have been. Yeah, they're at university, but they're not really at university. They're coming yeah. out of the they're they're going to sit in the room. You know, Andy, I do hope your football's five aside because from Monday you can only have six people at a time together, so you're going to have to... <laughs> I suspect my season's going to be suspended again second game in. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed for you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.